All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of the Coaches Roundtable. So we were just talking, it's been a couple months, so I'm sure we got plenty to catch up on and hopefully we get through, you know, more than one to two questions today. But uh, like we said last time, I think everybody kind of likes the banter at the beginning. So um, we'll just start with that. Uh, Brandon, how's things been going the last couple months for you, man? Man, yeah, uh, like we were remarking off air. It's actually been a few months since we all, all three of us got together and were able to do one of these. So glad to be back in it starting 2023 off. Right. Um, but honestly, everything has been going well on my end. Obviously we've passed the holiday season, but I had uh, a really, um, joyous holiday season with my friends, family, and loved ones. So that was a blessing in and of itself. But, you know, on the, we usually do a recap on like training, nutrition, and business. So on the training and nutrition front, I'm currently in a building phase, I believe, at the last coaches round table we did, I was just finishing and getting the blood work for my recovery dieting phase. So that has long since passed. I'm in a building phase and really I'm just aiming to slowly, you know, add tissue. I'm 17 years into training at this point. Like, you know, I'm not trying to, uh, to dirty bulk and, and gain all this tissue, but, or, or try to overshoot things, but really I'm just trying to, and it, it's all about the daily process at this point for me. So it's about accumulating productive training sessions day by day, week by week, as well as pairing my nutritional periodization with, with that training periodization. And then on the business front, we are in the second week of January. So obviously I'm sure you guys can relate to me on this. It's been extremely busy. Um, this is a little bit different for me though, um, because this is the first year that I've been full-time within my coaching business, um, which is ironic because this actual week, uh, this past Monday was my 10th anniversary, my 10 year that I've been coaching. Um, so you know, I, I have the, I appreciate it. So I have the, uh, the date set, um, the second week of January in 2013 was the first time I had someone pay me for nutrition coaching uh, in an online scenario. So it's been 10 years. And honestly, um, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about, like I, I'm very big into self-reflection. So anytime there's a date, whether it's New Year's or it's my birthday, I like looking at the previous year past. But in this case, being a 10-year anniversary, I looked over the last decade and in one regard, it feels like I've been doing this forever because I, I've coached so many individuals over the year. But at the same time, it feels like it's like flown by because it's been Honestly, it's been one of my greatest passions um, in life, first and foremost. It's something that I think I got a, a much better experience. Um, I don't know if I want to phrase it like that, but I was able to have a very unbiased experience to nutrition coaching because I got into it early when it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't you know, popular. I was doing it when people used to laugh at you. So I was doing it truly for the pure love of it. And I also did it in a perspective where it wasn't my main breadwinner. I was not dependent on nutrition coaching, especially in the early days. I'm charging people $50, $100 a month. Like, well, was, it was side money, but I had a full-time corporate career at the time and up until this past year. And so I was able to develop a love, a passion, and then also the skills, the experience, and the knowledge on the back end um, as a coach without that pressure. And what I really have seen over the years is there was a lot of people over the last 10 years, you know, I was reflecting back earlier this week and I actually had a conversation um, with one of my good friends who's been in the coaching game for a long period of time. And like, when I first got into this, the only people that were nutrition coaching that I knew of in like a public format that they were doing it online was Lane Norton. Uh, I'm in the Northeast. So if you guys are familiar with Dave Palumbo, he was doing it at the time, but he also had a nutrition or a, a sports nutrition company. Um, so he owned a supplement company. There was um, Joe Klemzinski, which is like the diet doc. So old school guy. Um, and there was a few others, if that. And so it was a really niche thing. There wasn't a lot of people. There was very few people doing this like a full-time profession. It wasn't until 2014, I flew down to Florida and did one of Lane's um, like power hypertrophy camps. And he kind of got me like really motivated. I was seeing how successful he was. He was doing in-person camps um, and, and stuff like that. And he was doing this full-time. Like this was his 
main emphasis. There wasn't like the social media like there is now and all the other things that Lean has done at this point, but he was full-time coaching. And it really like gave me the, the idea in my mind, like this could be a future. So let's stay in it. But over this time period, I've seen so many people that they jumped in a little bit too early. Um, they made it their main thing and they did it just for like the financial you know, security of it and realized that either they didn't have the skills, they didn't have the passion, or they really just didn't have the desire for it. They burnt out and they're out of the game. So I look back with guys that started along the way, and I'm sure you guys can can say the same thing. So it's been, you know, immensely, um, yeah, it's been an experience and journey filled with up and ups and downs, but I'm so glad that I got into it when I did. I'm so glad that I've been able to accumulate this experience. And then overall, just to start the year in a positive and productive way was, you know, the best way that I could do so. So I'm glad to, uh, to be starting off in this manner and glad to be back on with you two. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely, I agree with you that like, this is definitely a field where I feel like it's when you're on the outside, it's like, Hey, I want to do that. That sounds cool. Like it'll be easy, but man, I'll tell you what, it's definitely something you have to be, I feel like passionate about. Like those are the people that, that last, that last longest. And you could probably say that about any industry, but I feel like it's definitely the case here because as you guys know, there's a lot of ups and downs with it too, right? It's not always just great. There's, there's always some ups and downs with it. And like, I feel like that passion definitely, you know, can drive you to, to keep going. So I definitely feel you there. And it's, it's, it is interesting to see like a lot of people that were like in it when I first started. And this is more on the in-person side. And now like a lot of those people have like come and go. And it's like, you used to look up to those people and it's, it's just interesting to, to see that. But I feel like there definitely is a high turnover rate in, in this field and definitely have to be in it for sure. Um, you know, it's, you have to be passionate about it. So we know statistically that personal training has one of the highest turnover rates within fitness in general. So if we look at sports nutrition, so supplementation, um, like within GNC and, and corporate sectors, as well as supplementation, um, sales, as well as personal training on or in-person training, and then online in-person training has a very high turnover rate. However, so does online training. And up until recently, it wasn't like it is now. So like, dude, in 2013, when I first started telling people I was doing nutrition coaching online, most people laughed at me. They they either didn't understand the concept. They thought it wasn't a real job. And luckily, like I had the backing that I was like, yeah, well, I have a full-time corporate job as well, but I also do this thing online. And it really came, it spurred from the fact that I was in-person training people. So I started in a gym and I had been doing it for years. And then I took on a corporate position where I was traveling the country and my clients wanted to still stay engaged with me. They still wanted to get programming. They just, you know, I had to explain to them, listen, I can't come to the gym, you know, before or after I'm going to be traveling or I'm going to be in an office. And so that was what allowed me to transfer over. But there was a lot of people that they tried going all in, say, 2013, 2014, 2015, when this industry was still budding, it was still growing, and it wasn't taken as seriously or it wasn't looked at as much of a, a professional entity as it is now. And now a lot of people will say it's saturated, but you know what? With that saturation has come good and bad things. One of the good things that it's come is it's cemented online coaching as a true career where people can make you know, a, a secure you know, financial, um, they can, they can support themselves. They can support their families. And it's also taken, it's also something that people, uh, acknowledge as a career, as something that they're looking for. People are, you know, clients are much more willing to look into online coaching. Whereas when I first started getting online clients, especially it was all referral based. It was mostly out of the gyms that I went to, but initially when I was getting referrals to people that were outside of my personal network. So it was a friend of a friend of a friend. 
they wanted a full explanation. Like, how do you do this? I don't understand. Like you're doing this online. Like there's no in-person, like I can't come see you. And you know, a lot of my initial clients, honestly, I used to do like this hybrid model where I would have them meet me at gyms and I would look at them over in person. And then I would really just, I would take notes. Like at the time I didn't even have an iPhone. So I would take notes in a notebook and then I would give them updates online and then send it over via email. However, now it's like people know that this is an industry. They're so used to doing things mobily or through online um, features. And so it's not, you know, think about where Amazon was 10 years ago. We were, a lot of us were going to stores, buying clothes, buying different things. We weren't th- getting things, you know, prime expressed to us two days, you know, one to two days out. And so now the the way that we go about purchasing things, investing into things, and even pursuing knowledge is completely different. You know, I'm taking online courses right now at multiple colleges. And 10 years ago, I would have been in a university lecture hall. So it's completely different. So it's it comes with its you know benefits and its downsides, but it's been I'm glad to have been able to be a part and see this evolution and stay in it. Cause like I said, like those a lot of the guys that I saw early on who were successful, like these were either contest prep coaches or they were lifestyle coaches, they just got burnt out because they made this their only thing. And then also there was other people within that intermediary time. And I'm sure you guys remember this, like say like 2015 to 2018, a lot of people thought that they could like they would take like pictures on their Instagram, like them sitting back at a beach, like with their laptop. Like they thought that that was what online coaching was. And that isn't what it is whatsoever. Like I spend more time looking at a computer, analyzing labs and like just going over things and metrics. It's really, you know, it's more of like data analysis than it is anything else. I think that's why I've been successful in it because I come from a statistical background with within supplementation. Like I was always running stat reports. So it's pretty much a very similar thing, but it's not this sexy thing. Like if you think you're going to sit back and, you know, um, kick back and drink Mai Tais on the beach every day, every, you know, every day, every week and be a successful online coach, you have another thing coming to you. Wait, you guys, you guys aren't doing that? No, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Uh, no, man, congrats on 10 years. Though. That's that's awesome. That's a that's a big milestone for sure, especially in this field like we like we talked about. Jared, what's up, dude? Uh, not a lot. That's an interesting conversation, though. Jeff, when did you when did you let coach your first client? Uh, man. Um, I, I guess we we going in person or we going online with this? In person, like in first person. Session. Uh, in person. I think it was twenty. 16, I think it was, it could have been early 2017, but, uh, so a little over five years now. And like Brandon, you said, man, it's like, it, it, I feel like I've done this forever, but it's also at the same time gone by super quick. I'm like, you know, I kind of look back, I'm like, damn, you know, and I, I had to do a little bio on myself. I was like, man, I've already been doing this for over five years now, which is, which is pretty crazy to think that it's gone that fast. So, um, and then online, it was like, a. luckily I had a mentor, like at the very beginning of when I was uh, coaching in person who kind of like planted the seed about like doing online training. And so like, I kind of was already in it like right away, but I was getting most of my experience, you know, with in person, as you guys know, that's where you probably want to get some experiences in person before you just go straight online, because, you know, you really do get to, there, there's a lot that I think goes into working with people. And it's, as you guys know, it's like you, it, we have systems uh, that we have now that really help us to be able to connect with people online. But I think that you do need that kind of like prereq of being online or in person for at least a little bit um, to get that, uh, you know, experience. I think if you're missing that, you can do it, but I think it's a lot more challenging. So, um, but Jared, when was your, when was your first uh, coaching client? Mine was May, 2014. So it is interesting to your point. Also, I think that I'm, so I didn't, I, my first, mine was May, 2014. My first online client was, what, I think it was April 18th of 2018. Cause I remember I was, ta- I was like talking about it. I was trying to get it going for so long. And then finally, like the girl finally hit me up in Facebook messenger. It's like, absolutely. 
how I got to figure out how the hell to do this. But um, I think to your point about working with people in person, I think that a lot of that is you understand the communication side of things so much better. Like Brandon, I think this is something you do incredibly well. Where like even like I know our conversations in like the last twenty four hours have been like very vulnerable, hard things for me to talk about. But it's been like it's it's like meant a lot to me to how much like how well we can like have those conversations and how like receptive to that you are. Mm-hmm. Where I think that like working with pe- people in person, I think that most of the people you attract to work with in person, like just like the emotional intelligence, the communication are just as much like helping that person get results as it is like, it's so much less like nerding out over the data than it is like in the online setting where you're typically working with uh, sometimes it depends, but sometimes like a more advanced clientele. So I think that's a very valuable side of it. But yeah, dude, it is. I agree. It is crazy to think about like, I know for me, Corey Gregory was my guy in like 2011, 2012. I was like, I don't know what this guy is doing, but like, I like to work out. He somehow has like this career where he does like some type of online thing. So I I didn't know, like um, when I started college in 2011, it was like, I don't even know how this works, but I know he was like a personal trainer and now he's doing this thing. So I'm going to go to school to say I'm going to be a personal trainer, which doesn't even make sense, right? You don't need to be a personal trainer. But um, then I remember even like in 2014, like when I first started coaching people, it was like, I still, I didn't have any examples of people that were actually coaching online. I don't think it was like until 2016, 2017 to where I really saw like, oh, okay, here's kind of how you do this. But even like since 2018, it's crazy to think about how much it's evolved with like, as you said, Brandon, people's understanding of it but also just like the systems and how much easier it is to deliver things. It just, as a whole, it's just so much different. It's been kind of crazy to see. No, I, I actually, you know, I would love to expand a little bit more on that because nowadays we have a lot of coaches that get into the scene the last few years. And especially since the pandemic, a lot of people transitioned online before or without ever working in person. I, I do think that this is a conversation I mentor a lot of other, you know, new and upcoming coaches. And I often tell them, listen, if you have never gotten experience in person, I'm not saying that you cannot be an online coach. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. you're most likely at a disadvantage. And here's the thing. I got my first in-person training client in the summer of 2010. So we're talking 13 you know, years ago almost. And so it's been a long time. However, the first three years, I did not take people online because I was working in person that, you know, online really wasn't even an idea in my head. I, I knew very few people that were doing that. And most of those that I saw that were successful within the fitness industry, even from a coaching perspective, like people that were bringing individuals to stage were doing it in person. They had an office in a gym. They were a personal training manager or the head of a personal training training staff. And then they would have their clients come in that maybe was a contest prep client or a transformation client. And they would do in-person check-ins. And I actually mentored under someone that did that. And he owned his own business out here. He was an IFBB pro in New Jersey and had a very successful contest prep business. And he did it all within a powerhouse gym um, office that he rented out. So he trained people there, but then he also had clients that lived all around the state, all around the Northeast. They would come and travel. We had, you know, IFBB pro from New York that would travel two and a half hours every single week just to do an in-person consultation with him. And I was like his understudy and I actually ran a supplement company for him while, you know, sales wise, while I was in college. And so I got to see that in person and, you know, often Jeremiah, we've had this conversation. I'm very, you know, I'm very analytical in how I look at pictures. And I think one of the biggest things that that's come from is one of two things. The fact that I looked at people in person, 
you know, especially when I first started coaching and also that I was a contest prep coach for, you know, much of my early career. That's all I worked with. So I was picking at people's skin. Like if you ever look up videos of me with some of my FBB pros that I've prepped for stage, I'm like pulling at Anthony Scal's skin. Like there's certain things I'm able to see in person and as well as visually through pictures that that's my first piece of data that I'm looking at because there was a lot of things, all the systems that I have now, I didn't have this 10 years ago. So I was really going off of the skills that I built in person as well as the communication skills. There were so many times that I would have something, a program written up on paper and a client would come in and their biofeedback just from their, their body language would indicate that something was off and that we needed to take five or 10 minutes to have a conversation about maybe what's going on with your home life. And Jeremiah can attest to this. I'm very big into an all-encompassing picture of what's going on. This is, you know, I, I know the, it's kind of like a, a hippie word to use a holistic you know, viewpoint of, of doing this, but coaching is all encompassing. And I always say that coaching has to go far beyond the X's and O's of nutrition in terms of calories and, and macros. And then for training within sets and reps, because you have to realize that stress, you know, sleep, you know, relationships, your mental health, all these things have a massive impact on your ability to transform your body, because we honestly cannot separate our psychology from our physiology. And I learned that from seeing people in person, from giving someone a program and realizing that although I was pushing them into the gym, I was pushing them to failure. Like sometimes all the things that was going on outside of that one hour session that I had with them three to four days a week were what were the bottlenecks to them getting the progress that I expected them to get. And that's where it really caused me to dig in deeper and peel back the layers of the onion and really inspired me to go to blood work and blood chemistry courses to go look into that and to, you know, really further my education in all aspects of nutrition coaching from not only the physiological side, but also the psychological side. So, you know, being that I had an experience and all three of us have an experience with coaching in person. I think that gives us a leg up on coaches that didn't go through that experience because there are going to be skills and an ability to express yourself, to communicate, to have hard conversations. You know, coaching isn't all about just telling a client what they want to hear. It's also about telling them what they need to hear. And that's uh, an ability that you need to get there. You know, I'm the kind of person that if you see me, if you meet me, I'm the exact same way that I am on, on camera or I am on a podcast and I'll be completely blunt and honest with you with, with the utmost respect. However, I'm a very honest and transparent individual. And that came from coaching in person because I couldn't hide my responses through a computer. It wasn't like, you know, someone wasn't giving me they're all, or I knew they were, you know, slacking off, or there was a hard conversation we need to have about their realistic goal setting, or the fact that they, they weren't setting reasonable goals. Those were things that I had to tackle in person, have that hard conversation, break it to them, and then really be able to take a step back, get their response, take it in, and then move forward with that relationship. I, I felt like with in-person too, it got to the point where, you know, once I started to learn more, and then I did work with a good amount of clients online and like got you know, fairly good systems down with that. I just felt like it got to the point to where like, like, I, I think there is a lot of value in ha like doing in-person training, but then it just got to the point to where, like you said, Brandon, it was like the bottlenecks were always like things outside of the gym. It was like, I spent so much time doing that and just kind of watching them do reps when it was like, there was just so much more to it. And I felt like that was just a little tiny, small piece of the pie. And it was just like, man, I just feel like not being efficient with my time here. Um, and it just got to the point at the end of when I was doing in-person training, I was just like, man, I got, I got to switch to online because I just feel like you can kind of just touch on so many different more, like so many different things. And like, you can dive deep into lifestyle, nutrition, all those things that again are important. Now, like I said, I think the training aspect is super important. Like, you know, making sure somebody is training properly technique is solid but like we still have tools that we can get away with uh you know online with that now i do think like obviously if it's a brand new person into the gym maybe they're not great for online and they do need more of a 
in-person trainer and that, you know, for a little bit of time to get their technique dialed in, but that's just my experience with it. And like how I felt, uh, with that transition from, uh, where I was just like, I gotta go, I gotta go fully online because I feel like I can give way more online than I can just in person. Also Jeremiah on Corey Gregory, uh, <laughs> dude, I, I definitely was into his stuff for a while too. He's, he's still around too, which is crazy, man. Like he still puts out programs and stuff like that. He's still, uh, putting stuff out. Um, but the mindset manual, uh, was one. And then remember his podcast, uh, I think it was business and biceps or something like yes, that. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the, that was the first podcast I ever listened to. It's yep. crazy. Um, I don't think, I don't think that's around anymore though. Is it? I don't think he does that. I don't think so. No. Yeah. In retrospect, like thinking about all of that though, one thing I wish I would have done differently that you kind of hit on Brandon is I wish I would have found a mentor, like a true mentor earlier. Um, because very much for me, it was like, I'm like reading T nation and the bodybuilding.com forums, like all the time. And I'm eventually got into podcasts and things like that. But I, it, it's wasted time, but still it's like frustrating to think like how much further we could be if it would have been like, okay, right away. I'm like learning from someone like this. Like I didn't really start investing in myself until like 2017 I was when I actually hired my first coach. And then it was like, what have I been doing? I remember like right away, it was like, holy shit. I just learned so much better how to help my clients. Like it's just like completely blew my world open because before it was just like, Hey, I'm in Lincoln. I found, I stumbled across Eric Helms YouTube. So like, I understand nutrition at a very basic level because I've, and I've read the muscle strength pyramids. And that to me was like, I know everything. And then it like completely, like my world just got so much bigger. I wish that I would have done that in 2014 though, instead of waiting like that good three, three some years to get to that point. The, the great thing about life and, and this industry in general is that it's never too late to invest into yourself. So I'm 10 years into this. I still invest into mentorship calls. I still look to consultations. I still ask guys like Alan Aragon and Scott Stevenson, who have been mentoring me for years, questions. And, and even just, you know, at this point, it's, it's more of, I want to dive in deeper and I don't want them to tell me an answer. I want them to say, you know, I, I give them, you know, some some prompts sometimes that I'm like, listen, can you point me in the direction of the research? I'll spend the next eight hours if I need to dig in. I'll do it myself. But then, you know, I'll, I'll consult with them some questions and stuff. And it's just taking that curiosity and being willing to dig in deeper. And that's another, honestly, another reason as to why I've never niched myself down with a specific type of clientele. Because every time I get a client, and, and it's not that I can work with everyone, I'm, I'm always willing and more than happy to refer out if it's out of sight of my scope. However, there's been a lot of times that I've gotten an individual who I'll be very frank with them. Listen, this is, you know, especially early on in my career, this isn't my specialty. I've never worked with someone with blank, you know, autoimmune disorder, whatever it may be, but I'm willing to take the time and invest the energy and effort to research it. And that's where I've been able to help so many clients as a result, because what we have to realize is that learning about a condition, learning about a topic does not just impact that person that you're specifically utilizing that information for. That will impact all the clients that you get in the future for that. So there were times, I remember early on in my career, I didn't make a dollar for myself. Every time that I made money, because I had a full-time corporate career, that was what I, I you know, paid my bills and supported my family with. Everything went into my education, went into courses, went into seminars. So it'd be tr flying around the country when I had an open weekend to go to a Ben Picolsi seminar or a Jordan Shallow seminar, or, you know, I went to see John Meadows multiple times, Stan Efforting, anyone you could think of within this industry. I remember Eugene Teo came over here one time and I made sure I paid an arm and a leg to see him. I've seen, you know, I've went and trained with Joe Bennett, anyone you could think of that was notable within this industry. I've made the, the, 
most effort possible to make it happen. And oftentimes I lost money in the process. And that's how, what most people would think about. They would think about dollars and cents on that day or on that year when they're looking at their like wins loss column or their, are they in the red or in the, in the black? I never saw those type of things. When I would get on a consultation, sometimes I would have an issue with a client that I just didn't have the experience with. And I would consult someone else that was an expert in that field. And I would often pay for that single consultation more than that individual client was paying me for that month of coaching. However, I never saw it as a loss because I've utilized that information. I'm very big into note-taking and I, I save all these things. So I have files upon files with this data. However, I utilized it with that client. I was able to get feedback from them, gauge their progression, see how these methods, these principles work, as well as the knowledge that I had acquired through that individual consultation. But then I've been able to utilize that with clients since then. I've been able to teach other mentees, other coaches on those topics. So it is, it's always about this reciprocation. It's about these things come full circle and don't think about just what's how learning this thing or investing into this entity is going to impact you in the moment, but how it's going to impact your career long, you know, long-term. I, I definitely think that you know, since we're kind of on this topic, I feel like one of the biggest mistakes people make that end up like not staying in the industry a long time is they is they don't invest in themselves, right? Like they're they're just oh, they're yeah. thinking about how how they just oh I just don't have the money for that right now, and it's like all right, well, I mean how 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 can you expect to to get better, and how can you expect people to invest in you if you're not going to invest in yourself? And I just feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't. Like, yeah, maybe again, this is, and this is why I think it goes back to like, this isn't an easy field because you, you know, in the beginning, like you're getting paid for probably the clients that you work with. And so you don't have a lot of uh, funds maybe or something like that, but it's like, you gotta, if you want to do it, you got to find a way to make it work. And I, again, I just think that most people are, that don't last are the ones that are just very, uh, they, they just don't want to invest in their education or anything like that. Like there's just been a lot of coaches that I've like worked, not me personally worked with, but, uh, you know, they've been like a colleague of mine and the ones that aren't here are the ones that just were like, no, I don't have enough money to go and do that. I can't believe you're spending money on that. And it's just like, all right, well, <laughs> you know, Hey, it is what it is. I guess we'll see who's doing it, you know, long-term. So, um, and I know Brandon, we we've talked to, like you said, you know, you spent over well over a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, continuing education and very much you know, so. again, and it, you know it, what it, I say that was, openly, because I don't say that as a braggadocious thing. It's over 10 years. I've spent, you know, well into you know, close to 200,000 at this point, to be honest with you guys. And, and I say this openly because I want to encourage other people. I've been willing to invest in myself because I know that it's going to have, it's going to pay dividends long, long term. There's going to have a domino effect. And I've been able to impact not only the clientele that I work with, but every single other person. So like someone like Jeremiah, I've been able to teach him things. He's passed that on to the coaches that he works with and so many other clients. So there's this ripple effect of coaching. I've been able to get on hundreds of the podcasts and educate people that don't have the funds to be able to pay me for a consultation or pay to work with me. And also at one time, you know, prior to, to taking my business full-time this past year, I didn't have the time to take them on. So I was able to give a service and give back information that I remember clawing at and looking for when I was starting up. And that I wish that someone would have taken the time or that we had podcasts. Cause when I first started training people, there was no such thing as podcasting, to be honest with you. I know it makes me sound old, but it's 2010. There's no podcasting. And so you know, we have to think about these things and there's this ripple effect. And I'm I'm very prideful in the fact that I've invested in myself. And, and that's not to say that every investment that I made was worthwhile. There was a lot of courses that I took that I wish I didn't take. However, 
for every gimme, there's a gotcha. And I had to learn. And here was the thing, the courses that I only took one thing from, that was still one new piece of knowledge, but there was also courses that I took that I genuinely, now that I look back in retrospect, and also remember hindsight's always 2020, I regret taking those. However, they increased my critical thinking skills because I realized how others were educating and the wrongs. And it made me look, they're making these claims about hormones or about thyroid or about this. And then I started looking up like their citations or the fact that they had no citations. And it made me dig deeper and realize, wow, they're pulling the wool over other people's eyes. And yes, I could have been misinformed and miseducated through their process. However, I had the curiosity and the the goal to go after the the true search of knowledge and the curiosity to do so. And now it's opened my eyes to, now I, I shouldn't follow that individual. Now I shouldn't take in their content. And it kind of gave me a very critical thinking mindset. So oftentimes, like when I hear someone speak, and this is something I got from Lane Norton, and I think this is one of the best things you guys could ever do, whether it be you two or the audience. Don't always think like if you you hear someone that speaks, don't always think like, oh, that's a fact. You know what I mean? Like I always think like with a critical mindset and say, how factual is that? It isn't like, oh, because they brought a pet PubMed ID. All well and good. You could have misinterpreted that. But I want to know, like there's oftentimes that I'll hear someone depicting a study and I've read the study and I know that they're misinterpreting it or they're misextrapolating it, how they're, you know, to fit their bias. So it's it's having that critical mindset and always being willing to say, all right, let me really objectively look at things and not just take things for someone's word of mouth, but also it's given me the ability to differentiate between who is a true expert and who isn't and whose knowledge I could trust. And then I look at their circle. So we can give a great example. Eric Helms is someone that is I have the utmost respect for from an intellectual pursuit you know, perspective, because he always give a, gives an unbiased opinion and his breadth and depth of knowledge is, is very, um, it's hard to compare with other people. And so when you look at his circle, look who he surrounds himself with people of very like-minded integrity that are giving out good information without these bias and preconceived notions and these dogmas. And so it really gives you an ability to be a critical thinker and say, all right, well, you know, if he aligns with, you know, it's not always, you know, sometimes it's a personal alignment, sometimes it's a professional alignment, but often you can look and say, all right, well, in this group, these individuals present information like this, but then we have other people that make zealous claims that make like um, very definitive things. This is the end all be all. You, you have to do this. You can't do that. You can't eat this. When they make very definitive claims and there's never an it depends, that really is when I make or when it causes me to be critical and really try to critically evaluate what they're saying. So basically like what you're saying is just go eat like liver meat and whatnot and just follow that, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, man, those those are all great points. I, I I love it. Jared, did you have anything else that you wanted to, to add to that? I don't think so. I think, again, the investing is a very, like the willingness to invest yourself, like metaphorically and literally. I think a lot of times, like if you want to make it far in the space, you have to be willing to pay the price. That that sounds like, I'm not trying to like make that sound rah-rah, but like a lot of it is literally like the amount of money, like going through the amount that we had spent last year, like we spent well over 40K just in the last year on continuing education, right? Like me personally. And that's, again, I'm not trying to like flex or anything like that, but it's just like understanding like Brandon's like hundreds throwing like hundreds of thousands of dollars out there where like a lot of it is like you have to pay a price to acquire the knowledge. Like if you want to get to this place sooner, you have to be okay with that. Right. And that's okay. Like some people aren't, but I think it's like an important lens for newer coaches to also look through with like, there is again, like a metaphorical and literal price that probably like, if you want to advance quicker, you want to grow in your career quicker, you have to be willing to pay that where it's like, you don't just get there without, uh, 
at least for the most part, I don't want to, again, like think anyone, I don't, I don't like throwing numbers out, but like, I, again, think that's helpful to hear where it's like, I think we're all in the same boat where I think it would be very surprising to hear the amount that we've actually invested in like mentors and continuing education. And it's not just like, yep, I just kept up on Instagram posts. And that's like kind of how we're in this position now, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't think people need to like necessarily invest, you know, that much either. It's just something though. Like don't, you know, just if you're not ever willing to invest anything, it's like, all right, come on, you got, you got to do something. One thing for me too, that uh, I've tried to focus on recently more is more like my skills rather than like, you know, as a coach, it, you know, we own our own business. You know, we definitely, I'm sure you guys do this kind of judge your based on, you know, what your revenue is, things like that sometimes, right? How many clients you have when at the end of the day, it's like, that, to me, that's the same thing as like focusing on like just scale weight is like your only thing when you need to focus on like, you know, developing your skills and things like that. And that's been like super helpful for me uh, to really focus on that rather than again, like, you know, just a short term of like, oh, this is how many clients I have. This is kind of the revenue for the year and things like that. So that's been super helpful. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess as far as the train goes, Jerry, you know, we, uh, I don't know if we want to maybe hit on that. Is there, I, I know you are entering into a building phase here. Uh, yeah. I, so I don't know if you want to maybe hit on that real quick or. Yeah. I don't think we talked about this. I think last time we talked about this, Brandon was saying my pecs were small. So uh, <laughs> yep. we decided to enter a chest and bicep specialization phase, which I just wrapped up the first week of. I like the split. It's a, it's a lot different. Whereas I feel lower body, of course, is very fatiguing to train. I feel at least personally back is relatively fatiguing to train. I feel like training chest or biceps relative to either of those is quite a bit easier. Now I'm only week one, right? So I've only been at three RIR so far. I just wrapped up week one. As of now, it's like relatively, like I would say from like a mental effort perspective, it's felt quite a bit easier even than what I was doing before going from like training lower body twice a week to once a week, but we're training chest and arms three days a week. So basically that's every other training day. We have a lower body day. And then we have a uh, basically back and delts day. I've really enjoyed the split though. Me and Brandon went back and forth on the exercise selection and things like that a little bit. So I've really enjoyed it. Um, just got blood work back and I know the stress management. Uh, I think as a whole, we're pretty happy with how that looked. I don't know if you want to speak to that anymore, but this one thing that stood out was reverse T3 was pretty high and it, it looked like it was in a pretty similar place to where it was this time last year. Um, so the stress and like perception of, or not necessarily perception of stress, but like stress management techniques, um, as a whole, I think are things that I need to continue, continue to work on. And again, like we've been going back and forth about things similar to this. And I think that like, for me, one area to continue to grow in this year is like the mental side of things being okay with like, uh, trying to better manage my stress, making more time, not that I necessarily feel extremely stressed, but like trying to make more time for, like things outside of just career and our, our work here. So that's been like a kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's been like a lot of different things. I feel like we've been working through Brandon in the last couple of weeks where like it's, that was interesting to again, like see your insights from that. But yeah, as a whole, um, I'm stoked to get into this and I'm excited to see how it goes to kind of specialize in the chest and biceps. Yeah, I could, the, the balance aspect is, is tough, man, uh, for sure. Definitely. It's really easy to fall just way on one side, like you said, the business and, and working out and it's really hard to, to manage it all. So um, I think that's always <laughs> going to be a challenge, especially when you run your own business and it's something that you're super passionate about too. So uh, as far as like you're in a build phase, I'm curious to hear how you guys are going to approach it. Um, you know, what's kind of the, are you guys going for a rate of gain? Are you not worried about that? Like what's kind of the game plan there with that? 
Jeremiah, you, you want me to take over? Away. Take All away. Right, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously I'm the one uh, doing the coaching over here. So I'll be as I'll share as much of Jeremiah is, uh, is open to me doing. So essentially, you know, everything within my coaching is, is really based on data collection analysis, and then moving forward based on the data that I've already collected with a particular client, as well as what I'm seeing in the biofeedback, whether it be objective or subjective feedback. And so within this specialization phase, we went back and forth on both his priorities but it wasn't just from a muscle group priority. So I really want to differentiate that. When I say coaching is all encompassing, this needs to consider not only the, the goals of the client or the, the physique goals of the client, but also their other professional and, and personal goals. And really, when we looked at his hierarchy of importance, you know, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs or we look at his, you know, hierarchy of importance in terms of goal setting, he really did put his relationship as well as his business development over physique. And it wasn't, I, I want to make this very clear in, in Jeremiah. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't that he was putting his physique on the back burner, but those two other entities, you know, his relationship as well as, you know, considering the fact he was just engaged this past year, he has a, a great relationship with his fiance as well as his business were his top two priorities. So if he had to say, if I gave him a rank order, hey, give me your top three, it's going to go those two first and then physique development third. And so within that, he had wanted initially, and this was something that if you guys, any listeners of the audience, and Jeff is familiar with this, if you go back to our last coaches roundtable that was recorded at the end of November, we spoke about what I thought his priorities should be in terms of specialization cycle, and then what he thought his priorities were. And he wanted to do a leg specialization cycle, and I was more in favor of a chest, and then I would add in an auxiliary muscle group that was smaller, because we can really, considering the fact that chest isn't this majorly taxing muscle group, we could add in a secondary muscle group to special. In. And so when it really came down to the conversation, what direction were we going to head into? We knew we were going to go into a lean building phase where the rate of gain was going to be truncated, meaning it was he's an advanced training. So really pushing for scale weight wouldn't be something that would A, be productive from a muscle growth perspective because he's 10 plus years into training. B, it's also going to be counterproductive from a productivity standpoint. Because think about anyone that has really pushed hard in a building phase. And Jeremiah has been there where he's been, you know, 40 pounds above where he is now. You're pushing excessive amounts of food. You're bloated. You know, you're you're suffering from a lack of insulin sensitivity. So that's something I'm always keeping an eye on. Um, and also that is taking away from your productivity outside of the gym. So you might be well-fueled within the one hour that you're in the gym. However, then you're dragging around trying to, you know, spend so much time meal prepping as well as getting meals down, feeling, you know, um, a little bit more lethargic after meals. You're feeling that post-prandial um, somnolence, which is like that sleepiness after meals, high-carb meals especially. So we decided to go for a rate of, of gain that really is, is approximating like 0.25% per week to maybe 0.5% per week. So we're really looking at maybe 1% to 2% per month, which is really where we see advanced trainees gain the most amount of lean tissue with the least amount of residual fat gain. So looking for you know what most people would quote-unquote say lean gains which really anyone who's advanced really shouldn't be pushing for more than that, considering the fact that your rate of muscle gain is much slower than it was initially. And then also any fat that you accumulate by pushing that surplus and pushing that rate of gain higher is only going to be more fat that you will need to diet off later on in the process. So you're making your next dieting phase both more either a necessity for a more aggressive deficit or for any long a longer, more elongated fat loss phase in and of itself. So it's kind of killing the productivity of things. And so really what we decided was we'd go into a lean building phase. And then when it came to the specialization cycle, really when we think about it from a neurological perspective or a central nervous system perspective, 
training legs in a specialization cycle. And I've done it with clients where they're training legs two to three times per week and really allocating a lot of their volume budget for the week towards legs. It's both physically, systemically, and mentally fatiguing. So right now with his emphasis being on, hey, listen, I spent a large period of time. We did a 15-week fat loss phase where he was dialed. He was he was locked in, following his plan every single day. There wasn't a lot of time for auxiliary activities, whether it be relationships or you know, things for his relationship, dates, things like that. He really wasn't that kind of, I don't want to say he went on the back burner, but there was less of an emphasis paid to that. So really our goals here was to spend more time in the business, spend more time in his relationship. So I wanted to make sure that the training fit that. So I wanted to go into a phase and especially a specialization cycle based off the data that I had on him, where we were able to grow a body part that he does need to bring up. However, it wasn't going to negatively have a domino effect on every other aspect of his life as it would potentially if we did legs. Also with the data that I collected in previous training phases, I saw that his legs held and were able to make progress at a a reasonably lower dose, like uh, effective dose of training per week, then did his chest and then did his arms. So with that, I knew that if we were to bring his legs down to say minimum effective volume, as well as his back and delts, we were going to be able to maintain gains or, or really, you know, still make progress, but not as expedited, but we were able to allocate more of that weekly training volume towards chest and biceps, which are still muscle groups he needs to bring up, but aren't going to be taxing him to the point where it's going to have uh, negative residual effects on every other aspect of life. So I want him really being able to focus, you know, mentally, physically in his training, but also being able to recover adequately and still be able to rise to the occasions for all other aspects. And this is something that my approach has changed so much within the last five years, because I went from really focusing my first five years of, of online training or online coaching with physique competitors, with guys that were just getting ready for the stage. That's all they did. Like their career was secondary, everything else, they didn't have relationships and, and, you know, everything was secondary to their physique development. Whereas now I work with a lot more high level professionals and people that are successful coaches in their own right, like Jeremiah himself, who is not only has a full roster of clients under him, but has multiple coaches under him who he's a leader for, who is, you know, a pillar in his community. So we have to take all these things into consideration. And that's where I talk about coaching is more than X and O's. So when you're designing a training program, you can't just think about just like we wouldn't think about just getting the most amount of volume in one session and not thinking about the subsequent sessions after that. We can't think about it from a mesocycle construction perspective that we're just going to bury someone in the gym and then not expect that other aspects of their life are going to have negative effects. So we really have to take an all-encompassing approach where we consider the priorities, the needs, the preferences of that individual client and really program around that. So that really was my emphasis. And then when it came to the design of the specialization cycle, I said, listen, I want you mentally locked in. I want you bought into this. So this is a collaborative effort. I'm not here to coach you and just, I'm not a dictator. So we together, let's work on your for your muscle group specialization cycle, let's work on exercise selection between the both of us. So there are going to be certain things, aspects of like a skeleton that I'm going to want to see, but I want you to have, you know, the ability, the autonomy to choose things. You're an experienced trainee. I've seen you, how you responded to my baseline programs, but I also know that you have certain preferences, whether it's psychologically or physiologically. So either what he mentally connects best with or likes and enjoys going in training from an exercise selection perspective or what he feels he connects best to. And so all those things were kind of like, like this is like a soup. And so everything gets mixed up into that, that uh, equation or that recipe. And that's how a program is, is cemented. So really what we're looking for is to see an accelerated rate of gain in his chest and biceps over the course of the next, you know, six, 12, you know, 18 weeks as compared to what we saw previously 
also keeping in mind that he was in a deficit for the majority of the time that we were working together. So obviously he should see an accelerated rate of gain in those body parts to begin with. But really what I'm looking to do is seeing an accelerated rate of gain as compared to what we would see if everything was at a, you know, an equal threshold of attention to detail paid to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's and it's funny we mentioned that I've mentioned as well, like, hey, do you feel like the training is less neurologically taxing basically before we even had this conversation? Because it's very much like, yeah, that's how it's designed. Sessions are shorter. Um, from a like stress perspective, again, to bring it back to blood work mm-hmm. for you, I'm curious. Like, again, I think what reverse T3 is gonna be depending on again, there's a variety of different factors that could impact that. But in my case, we identified like, hey, this is probably most related to stress and like mm-hmm. I feel the least stress I felt in like the last five years, in like this last year, but I know that's again, something we've been talking about quite a bit for you. Is that something that's like concerning to the point where it's like, Hey, maybe we want to focus on this before we push the building phase. Or I imagine also it would be more so if it was like, we're in lower body specialization, right. And you're trying to blast quads three days a week. And we also have this, what, what are your thoughts on that? So there's, I'm going to speak specifically to you, but then I'm also, you know, I can expand on this in generality. So, you know, I'll speak in general first to just give the audience some background on reverse T3, seeing as it's essentially an inactive thyroid hormone that indicates stress in the body. So really what we see is there's multiple thyroid hormones, but really the most physiologically beneficial thyroid hormones are are T4, which is inactive, but also T3. And generally the um, most of what we produce, so about 90 to 94% of what the thyroid gland produces in endogenously, meaning naturally, is T4 in the form of T4. And then about 6% is T3. However, our T3 is our metabolically active T3. So that is the, the thyroid hormone that binds to the receptors on cells and exerts its, its, its action. So that is what is responsible for basal metabolic rate, body temperature regulation, um, you know, even carbohydrate, protein, and fat metabolism, all these physiological processes in the body. However, T4 generally will convert to T3 in various tissues like the liver, the gut, and other, and also the kidneys, and then it will become T3. However, what ends up happening is when you have reverse T3 and it's high, what it does is it binds, it acts as an antagonist. So it blocks the, uh, it blocks T3's ability to bind to the same cell. So say a muscle cell, we need T3 in the muscle cell to bind to a muscle cell to help with uh, muscle protein synthesis. So when reverse T3 is high, it binds the same cell and essentially renders regular T3, metabolically free T3 inactive. And so what I saw in Jeremiah's labs were his T4 in range, his, or his free T4 in range, his free T3 in range, and his TSH all in a very good range. Like, honestly, you were in the ideal category. So from a hormonal perspective, if I did not get, and a lot of coaches make this mistake, they don't get reverse T3. I would have had no indice for your stress because from a what your your body's perceiving from a thyroid hormone, you're in a state of energy availability, meaning you have enough calories. And generally, reverse T3 is is high because of multiple reasons. It could be high to that signals, you know, it could be elevated due to a lack of energy availability. So if you're in a deficit, you're in a dieting phase, you're very low in body fat, generally reverse T3 will be high. However, it also indicates high cortisol levels. Unfortunately, there wasn't cortisol, you know, serum cortisol taken in your labs. However, the fact that you're at a good state of energy availability, your testosterone has rebounded and actually been higher, both in terms of total testosterone and free testosterone than it was on last lab work. And then obviously than it was when you were in a deficit, all your other hormonal markers and everything else within your blood work was indicating you're in a great physiological position. So we got the green light on everything except reverse T3. However, if I had a client that had all these other down regulations, including reverse T3, and I knew that they didn't have the lifestyle construct in place, 
I would pull back and probably put them into a maintenance phase or a primer phase. And I would really work on restoring their physiology. However, when we had this conversation and, and Jeremiah can, you know, expand on this, this, you know, this isn't just like a one, you know, one paragraph text that I sent you. This is, right. you know, a very, we're in- still having this conversation. It's back and forth, back and forth. And I'm, I'm looking at your lifestyle. I'm looking at your stress perception. I'm looking at, and here's the other thing I can relate to you on many aspects, not only from a physique enhancement perspective, like trying to push my physique, but also trying to build a business and running multiple entities at the same time. So I can understand the, the ability to kind of our, our perceived stress is low. So just like you said, you don't feel stress, but you have a lot of stressors in the system. And I'm able to see that from an objective perspective because I'm not you. So it's almost like you getting out of your body and looking at yourself, you would realize, Hey, I have a lot of responsibilities. I'm building a team. I have a ton of, you know, things on my plate, but I've gotten so used to it. So it's almost like a tolerance, just like with caffeine or anything that we be, we, we build a tolerance and an endurance towards. We're able to handle more and more. It's the same principles, progressive overload, the more you train generally, you know, more you can exert yourself and, you know, you'll be able to have a crushing session and recover quicker. And also you're able to lift heavier loads over time. So we've built these skills and you've built great work capacity, both in the gym, but also in your life and especially in your business. So it's hard to say, oh, I'm stressed because we're always looking at things from a a, a retrospective perspective. So, you know, years ago when I was less structured, I was less organized, I was much more stressed. However, I'm guaranteeing the reverse T3 was through the roof then as well. So we have to realize that this is not just a state where we look at something, you know, in one, one lab report and say, all right, this is an issue just now. It's probably been an issue for a while. So we are going to address them, but also there's another aspect to this. And I want everyone in the audience to realize this, you are not your labs. Your labs are a, you know, it's an indication of one time in in place in life. And so seeing as everything else, we have a green light. So I have a check, you know, when I went through your lab work, everything was a check. Everything looked good. Very little things. And I actually explained as to why. So this is a big difference between how your general practitioner would interpret labs and then how someone that's good with functional nutrition would look at labs because there's difference between the reference ranges that are based off a of sick population and then the optimal ranges that are that we would look to um for someone that's athletic active healthy you know metabolically fit and so we had that you know that conversation however i also know on the back end we are going to work and when i tell you hey listen you have to do this we're going to have to incorporate meditation we're going to you know first and foremost the first thing i looked at were lifestyle interventions what are we going to do to help your perception of stress your ability to recognize stress as well as your ability to mitigate stress we're going to focus on those and obviously i have a vast you know experience within supplementation but that's not my first go and like i told you listen i can employ all these you know quote unquote protocols which I hate that word. However, it would be a program in which I could utilize nutritional supplementation and nutraceuticals to lower your reverse T3. So on lab work, I could get your labs next week and, and, you know, artificially lower it, but that would be a transient decrease. So what that means is for the moment, because they're suppressed from certain supplementation that we would be utilizing, they'll be lower and they'll look good on lab work. However, I'm trying to make this a lifestyle for you and make this long-term that you're able to mitigate and find ways to restore the things that we're seeing that are off. And there's only one indication that's off. So this is where I don't feel the need to pull back on your training. However, say we go long-term, we get your next set of labs, it's still elevated, or your biofeedback from week-to-week basis shows that there's signs and indications of high elevated stress. That's where we'll have to pull back in the moment. But you know that within my programming, it's never set and forget, and it's always reactive. So it's going to be based off what you're going through at that moment, where your business is at, where's your relationship at. And even in t- this week's context, when I made an update to your program, you know, there's up 
updates from lifestyle perspective, like the meditation that we've in, you know implemented for on a daily basis, but also even like how I structured your free meal. You know, I gave you a flexible high day, which is essentially you're you're matching you're you're meeting macros with a, an increased calorie budget of 750 calories over your high day, and so that was so that you could have more connection with Katie so that you could have, right. you know, a timeout with her and do something that she likes, which is in turn going to make you happy. So it's an ability to just turn your brain off, know that you have a huge budget to play with and have a good time. And, and, you know, I know you're not really one for huge free meals and stuff. So never would I tell a client that that's good with having, you know, whole foods, you know, nutrient dense diet to just go out and, you know, overindulge. That's, that's not my, I'm a nutrition coach. I'm a health coach. However, you know, I also know that you like to stay within a plan. So giving you some structure, also building in a lot of flexibility is going to allow you to de-stress during that moment, have a great time, and then also alleviate some of that stress. Even if you don't realize it, I'm sure over time, that's going to have, it's going to pay off a lot of dividends. Absolutely. That's a great breakdown. It's a, again, such an interesting thing. I think so much of it too. I appreciate like the lifestyle side of it that we talked about at the same time. It's also frustrating because it's like, God damn it. I don't want to like so much of it feels like the things first, as I said, like my perception is I'm way less stressed than I've ever been. But then it's like, man, I don't, I don't want to like, feel like I'm pulling back or doing less. I know. And but that's probably like for so many people, that's like, I know so many clients listening to this can relate because it's very much like from the coach role, I have this exact same conversation with so many people where it's like, yeah, and that's exactly what you need. But it's like, no, really like I'm good. <laughs> yeah, but different. you know what? That's why coaches have coaches. So that's where I'm right. here to be. You know, obviously we have a personal friendship, but even from like, a, I told you from like a mentorship and from, you know, being here as a coach and a guide, I'm here to be objective with you. I'm here to have these hard right. conversations and for us to dig in deeper. And that's why, I mean, our email chain is huge, but that's because that's what's necessary. And I'm here to guide you through the process, but also we're bouncing ideas off of each other. Like I didn't tell you, Hey, listen, you know, you're going to go meditate. It was what interventions have you found? I'm going to give you some examples that I've utilized with clients as I did, I'm going to give you some examples of what I do personally to alleviate stress, right. what I've seen improve my blood work. Cause I've had, you know, highly elevated reverse T3, even in a building phase. So energy availability yeah. has been in check. All my hormone profiles look good, but my court, you know, and I, I shared this with you, but my cortisol was highly elevated. And so was my reverse T3. So now I had, you know, the coal mine, the canary essentially. And so I've worked through this experience with both myself and with others, but it's always good to have someone who's on your side. You know, it's not that I want you to do less. It's that you may need to do less. And I'm here to be that objective uh, person in your corner to tell you when you need to push and when you need to pull back. And often I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've worked with many high level individuals like Jeremiah or like professional athletes, like IFB pros. And as much as I would like to say like, oh, I bury these guys. No, that's not the case. Oftentimes I'm pulling them back from doing things that have hurt them in the past. And that would hurt them in the future more than I'm pushing them. I think that's, I think that's cool. And uh, Jer Jeremiah uh, on the meditation talk, that's something that you've never done before. Um, I I've been doing that for, for years now and I, I love it. I think it's been super beneficial. I'm just curious to kind of hear your thoughts on it and like what you, do you use anything for it or you just kind of wing it or what does that look like for you? I've done it a lot in the past. Um, I used to find it extremely helpful actually like three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, I used to do it like daily multiple times, but I mean, it really helps me with being present. I basically see it as like practice for being present in the rest of your day, which I think is a lot where a lot of like stress and anxiety comes from, but it's just like painful now to just sit there and do it. Um, I've used like Sam Harris's app, I think was great, but, and then I, I, I like, uh, Headspace. Headspace. Is the other one that I've used a lot. But yeah, those are typically what I've done. 
Yeah, I, I use Headspace and, and I'm with you. I, I feel like it's uh, definitely helpful to just kind of like stay present whenever. I mean, it's still tough to do anyways, even if you do practice meditation, but um, it definitely can help. I found like doing it first thing in the morning helps because it kind of sets the tone for the day. So I always try to make sure I do that first thing in the morning because if I don't do it, you know, you guys know how it is. Like if you don't do something first thing, it's like, it makes it tough to do it, especially if it's not something that you want to do naturally. Like for me, like working out, like I love doing it. I don't have to do that first thing in the morning. I know some people need to do that in order to to fit it in, but yeah. Um, cool. Is there anything else you guys wanted to to add to that or? We're pretty deep now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you want to fill us in on anything going on with you or do you want to get into some questions? Um, I, so as far as training goes, um, yeah. How is that going? Actually, I wanted to ask about that because you're working with Brian now. The other thing we've had to mention is Jeff and I are now mortal fucking enemies yep. because he's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, this, uh, this is actually the first time we've talked. So, no, I'm just kidding too. No, we, wait, what, I, am I getting a surprise here? Cause I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Jeff was working with me as a client for a very long time. And then you've been recently working with Brian Borstein, who's a good friend of, I think everyone here's um, just to kind of continue to education. And I'm, I'm interested to hear how that's been going. Yeah. So yeah, I, I worked with Jared for, man, I mean, it was over two years. It was a long time. And and I was towards the end, I was definitely reflecting on it. I made so much progress, man, during that period of time. And that so was cool to see like yeah. your, your pictures from your first show versus like the most recent photo shoot we did. And the lesson in here too, is that I thought I knew everything going into it, but you know, <laughs> but I still learned a ton of stuff in the process. Right. And it's like, I, I took a ton from it and like, just very grateful for that experience. Um, but yeah, I, I switched over to Brian just just to get, you know, just expand my knowledge a little bit in terms of the training side. I felt like that probably was where I I spent a lot of my last couple of years really focused on like nutrition side of things and like metabolism, things like that. And I was like, I need to get back into training a little bit more too. Uh, so I sw- went to Brian for a little bit and um, yeah, I mean, it's been going well. He he has a very interesting approach to training. Uh, his, his, his split is not your prototypical. Like I've had a couple of questions of like, what's your training split? And it's just like literally this random like day by day thing. Uh, it literally looks like you're just kind of just throwing stuff at uh, a dartboard, but darts at a dartboard. But um, he obviously has a reason behind it, right? In terms of fatigue management and things like that. But for me, the biggest takeaways... Uh, Definitely, we've incorporated like more like cable type work, which I've really enjoyed. I've taken a ton away from that. But for me personally, it's really helped me be like, hey, I need to get more form videos from clients because I'm somebody that's like, dude, I know my like, I'm very, I feel like I'm a stickler for technique, but it's like, it's easy to let it slip for you if you're not like taking those videos regularly. And so like kind of seeing that's been super helpful Um, and really just working in more like the length and range for uh, certain movements. Um really just slowing down my eccentrics and he's also incorporated more like mile reps and like rest pause and then like length and partials, which has been really cool to kind of mess around with and just been a nice, um, just a little bit different than what I was doing um, for a while there with like more like RP style kind of training, but it's been good. I've enjoyed it so far. Um, at first I was a little hesitant. I was like, Oh man, I'm already missing like the RP, you know, like basically how I've trained the last little while, but, um, I've liked it so far. Um, I'm personally like just in a building phase and just trying to just slowly gain. Um, I'm going to push my weight to like 170 and I'm getting close to there and then I'm going to take a mini cut and then go back into the build for a little bit. So that's just where I'm at. Um, I think the biggest thing has been the form stuff and like really dialing that in, uh, now, Jeff, uh, just, you know, out of curiosity, is he just handling just training? Cause I know Brian generally just does training. He doesn't do nutrition for people. So I'm wondering if he's incorporating both for you. No, I told him I was, I wanted to do that on my own, um, and just mess with that and just have him do the training side of things. So like in our check-ins, I'll just kind of tell him like, 
here's where my weights trended. Here's kind of my game plan and where my calories are at on, on average. Um, and so, yeah, he's just, just doing the the training side of things and just, I'm just communicating to him, you know, what's going on there with that. So I think, uh, you know, just a comment not to, to, you know, obviously Jeremiah is a great friend and client of mine. Brian is a good friend of mine as well. So not to take any sides, but I, I do, I really do <laughs> encourage people to try different philosophies as well as different practitioners. Sure. You know, there have been many times that I've, I've consulted with someone, gotten a program from them, had them just handle even one aspect of my programming. Um, sometimes it's been someone that I have a great amount of respect for, but I don't think, and, and this is not a reflection on either of them. So this is completely, you know, opposite or, um, you know, separated from Brian and Jeremiah, who I have the utmost respect for, but there have been coaches that I've respected their knowledge, but I don't respect the way that they hold themselves. So I wouldn't want to be a client of them to be completely frank and honest with you guys. I just don't align with them ethically. I don't align with them um, from like a personality perspective. So I don't want this, like, you know, I, I don't see them as being someone that I'm going to engage with on a weekly basis or really give them full reins to everything, but I really do like their approach to things. So I've had them program training for me and I've just went back and forth or learning some of their, uh, their philosophy. And it's been really eye opening. So I always encourage people. It's not that not be coach switching and coach hopping. I really do think like you need to have people in your corner. I have a, a certain group of people within my corner I've had for three years and I pay them monthly on it's on an auto payment. And it's even if I don't consult with them that month, it's always there. If I need questions for myself, or even if I have questions about another client that I'm working with. However, I do think that there's utility in learning from other people's philosophies and going to different ends of the spectrum. So for instance, I spent a long time mentoring under Alan Kress. And during a lot of the time that I worked with Alan, he was going from different practitioners. So at one time, this is someone you might not be familiar with, but this is like 2014. There was a very prominent contest prep coach called Matt Porter. And so he had a, a supplement brand, but he was huge within the contest prep space. He placed second at nationals multiple times. So a very accredited and successful bodybuilder. Anyone from the boards era will know Matt Porter. Unfortunately, you know, rest in peace as, as he passed away, but Alan was very close with him. So I learned some of his philosophy from him. And then he started working with Eugene Teo and I ended up consulting Eugene when he was in Australia and getting a program from him um, to learn from him. This is early on, like 2015, 2016, Eugene was, you know, just really making on the scene. And then he started, you know, um, he became very close with Kasim from N1. This before I ever knew what N1 was. I, I actually don't know if Kasim had the brand name N1 at the time. So I, I've shared with Jeremiah, I learned some of like their initial, they were going through testing phases of the metabolic right. phases of the neurological phases. They used to call them different, you know, obviously it was a strength phase. And then it started, you know, um, you know, changing like some of the terminology that they use. So now it was um, mechanical tension phase or whatever it may be. However, I learned a lot of those initial, you know, um, phases from Alan himself, and I had him run me through them. And some things I saw great utility in and some I didn't. And so I was able to pick and choose and really see, because I was not only utilizing them with myself, but I was really consulting him on a weekly basis on calls. And so it wasn't just him coaching me, but he was also mentoring me. So then I was able to utilize them with my clientele, collect data on how I was responded, as well as how we, how a large subsect of completely different individuals for me. So we're, we're, ranging from you know general population clients to physique competitors how they were responding and then i was able to take and and i kind of weave and and really if you look at my programming style you really can't like take it down to one person or one philosophy because I have so many different things and it's really based on the clientele. So there are things that I'll utilize with Jeremiah that I, I wouldn't use with another client. There's things like for specifically Anthony Scalza, like one of my FB pros who I've had the longest extent working with. So I've worked consecutively with him for three plus years. There are so many things that I've tried within his programming that it's a, it's a new evolution. 
you know, every six months, I'm like, listen, we're going to try this. I'm experimenting with this. I've di- I've given it six months. Now, you know, are you open to this? So it really is, you know, coaching is an evolutionary process. So just like we change our philosophies, it's good to learn from others. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, well, that's the conversation we had too, where it's like, dude, that's exactly what I've done. That's been so helpful. I'm, I don't, as you said, like none of us are encouraging coach hopping, but I'm very grateful for every coach that I've worked with because I've always picked up something new. It's always helped me grow as a coach. And that's like, I was joking about us, of course, being mortal enemies or definitely not, but it's like, absolutely, man. Like I enjoyed our time working together, but I fully encourage you to like, that's how you continue to grow, especially as a coach. Like, uh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad you're going well, dude. Yeah. And also I didn't mean that you like do our piece. Like that's, that's not what I meant by that. You, you and Brian both. And I know Brandon, you're the same way too. And, and I've picked this up from all you guys is like, you know, we, it's, it's more of a conversation about training and things like that. Right. Like Jeremiah, you were very like, Hey, you know, here's kind of what I think. And then we would have this conversation in terms of like exercise selection and what to do. And I was very, um, I was definitely probably more like, Hey, this is kind of what I want to do there with the training style. Right. So uh, that wasn't me being yeah. like, Hey, you, you forced that style mm-hmm. training on me, or that's your style of training. Like, I know you have, uh, you know, you've learned a ton as well. And like you have different styles as well. And what you think is best for, for the client as well, too. I'll never forget though. When you first started coaching with me, <laughs> the condition was only if I can write my own training program. <laughs> that I was like this motherfucker, <laughs> this yeah, I funniest thing ever. Well, my condition too. Game so Brian, far though, dude. Yeah. Well, and my first condition with Brian too is like, dude, I don't want to train legs a ton. That's my first thing. I don't want to freaking do it. Luckily, I you know, it sounds like you're you're in the same boat now. You don't have to train legs as much either. And um, yeah. So, uh, but very much like with the conversation with Brian, all of ours were like, and especially like advanced clients like you, where it's like all of our conversations, every mezzo was like, all right, dude, here's what I think. Let me know what you think. Is there anything in here that you feel like I'm missing? Like maybe we need to plug in this movement for this movement. And it'll be like, let's, let me get your feedback as well. And then let's take the program from there. Yeah. I think it's, I, I do want to highlight this because I'm sure that we're going to have clients that listen to this and say, why don't we have these conversations? And it's because they're just not at that level yet. So I think this is really a very a specific clientele. So I do want to differentiate this. This is something that when someone's at a very advanced level, there have been individuals, and I'm going to be completely frank with you, that would blow my physique out of the water that have attained physique success or competitive success that I will never dream to, to, to get to. And so with them, some of these individuals, they've trained longer than I have. They're full-time professionals or someone like Jeremiah that I have immense amount of respect for. He is extremely successful in his own right as a coach. So really when it comes down to coaching, that's where it really is a collaborative effort. When it comes to other clientele who are less experienced, they're coming to us due to our expertise. And that's really where, especially for the baseline programming for the first, say three to six months that we work with someone, I'm going to want to use a style that I'm more familiar with. And that I've seen better results with more times than not. And I'm going to want to gauge their response. And then I'm taking their biofeedback and making adjustments very specific to that person because I'm very into reactive programming. So I'm never going to tell a clientele, hey, we're going to run a four to one paradigm where you're going to accumulate for four weeks. We're going to deload one week after that. There's never going to be this set and forget programming. But when I have someone that's say beginner or intermediate, they really haven't reached like that, that really precipice of their physique where it's almost like an asymptote where they're really not, you know, when I get an advanced individual, first of all, they have so much experience. I I just made a a physique transformation uh, post today of a client of mine, Craig McDonald, who's out of Australia. Guys, 
about to be 40 years old, has been training 20 plus years, extremely experienced. We had a really great building phase, but he comes from, he was previously coached by um, Jordan Peters. And if you guys know Jordan Peters, very high intensity, low volume individual out of the UK, extremely successful, coaches multiple Olympians on the bodybuilding Olympia level stage. So when we did our consultation about coaching, and we still do this on a biweekly basis, you know, a lot of the adjustments I'm making, we're going back and forth. We're bouncing ideas. Hey, what has worked for you? What hasn't? And it's really a collaborative effort. But when I have someone that doesn't, you know, have that experience, I mean, this individual has been coaching as long as I have. So it really is a collaborative effort. But when I have someone come to me who's a client, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this at the same time, they're coming to you for the answers. They're coming to you for your expertise and for your programming skills. So it instead of, you know, yes, I can take some of your feedback and I'm always going to give you a, a list of questions that I want previous to ever completing a program, ranging from your preferences to your availability to really the time constraints within your life, the things that you like within the gym, the things that you want to prioritize. But often really what I'm making from a programming is taking, you know, really what's trying to blend a, a mix between what's optimal and what's practical, but also taking all the knowledge and the experience that I've accumulated and really utilizing that and leveraging that within the programming itself. Yeah. And, and I think some people just want, you know, again, and it, like you said, people that are newer, newer to it, it's like they, you know, you, <laughs> these conversations are going to be a little bit different, but I think some people do hire a coach just to be like, Hey, like write the program for me, you know, tell me what to do. Right. And there's a lot of value in that. Uh, and then oh, I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. I knew I should have said that one first. Um, I can't, it, it's, it will, it will come back to me. Um, I, I can't think of it right now. I, I had it on the, I, I knew I should have said that one first. You guys ever do that? You just feel like you need to write it down. Otherwise you just, <laughs> otherwise it all just completely time. skips out of your head. It's all good. Do you guys want to get at least yeah. to one question? Yes. I, think, I don't know if we'll have time for more than one. So I, don't I, think I, think this, I think this is a good time. Uh, yeah. To, to switch it. And I'll just stop in the middle of your, while you're answering this question, Brandon, to say what I was going to say. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's go, <laughs> let's go with, uh, so alcohol and muscle growth, it does, does that affect muscle growth? Who wants to take it first? All right. I will take it. All right. So indirectly does alcohol or does alcohol affect muscle growth? Really when it comes to alcohol, if we look at it from a mechanistic perspective, it is going to downregulate some of the processes involved in muscle growth. But really we're looking at this from an indirect perspective because really when you look at the research on alcohol, it's really done in... I want to say unrealistic uh, circumstances. So they'll do like, they'll look at muscle prote protein synthesis effects post-workout after taking, you know, they'll look at uh, someone training in the lab and then they'll have them drink a ton of alcohol. It's like shots through the roof, you know, 10, 11 alcoholic beverages. And then they're looking at their basal rates of muscle protein synthesis. And they do see a downregulation that same thing with testosterone, same thing with other markers of hormones that would indicate body composition decrements. However, really realistically, most people that are drinking alcohol aren't going to be doing so post-workout. It's not like, hey, I'm going to have a beer as my post-workout carbs. However, that's direct you know, if we look at direct data on muscle or on alcohol intake and muscle growth, however, we look at indirectly, are is alcohol downregulating the processes involved in muscle growth and body composition? A hundred percent, ten out of ten times. And here's the thing: so, really, when we look at alcohol, there used to be like this parrot, like what's called the French paradox. Really, what that refers to is there are there's almost like a J-shaped curve in terms of the dose response effect of where alcohol is healthy and then it becomes unhealthy in terms of mortality. However, just recently, I actually um, there was a recent study that looked at this, and there really is no 
healthy dose of alcohol in terms of health parameters. So it's not, you know, going to be adding to anything. And it's not that you guys cannot have alcohol. This isn't like a a zero sum game where it's either you can drink or you can't drink. It's just like, it's a spectrum. So really when it comes to, if we're looking directly at body composition, we have to look at multiple aspects. So first we have to look at it from an energy content perspective. So every gram of alcohol, seven, uh, seven calories per gram. So it's energy dense. Then also we have to look at it from a satiety perspective. If you actually look at the research, not only on liquids and satiety, but also on alcohol and satiety, we do not see a satiety response, meaning you do not get fullness from it. And I'm thinking that that's pretty, um, you know, people could, could obviously come to that because oftentimes what it ends up doing is it decreases disinhibition. So what that means is you're more likely to be more susceptible to eat hyperplatable foods and less likely to stick to say a nutritional regimen or to eat things that are really going to be conducive with your goals when you've consumed alcohol. So now it's affecting multiple aspects. So it's more, not only does it hurt body composition from an energy perspective, because now you're taking an excess energy, probably putting you in a surplus. Also, when we look at it from um, like a metabolization perspective, alcohol is going to be preferentially metabolized by the body first before any other macronutrients. So say for instance, we're looking at someone that is in a building phase. They're in a 250 calorie surplus, and that's coming from a mix of carbohydrates and fats. Now say they took in an, an additional 500 calories from alcohol, your body's going to preferentially try to metabolize and excrete that alcohol first and foremost. So it's going to burn through and oxidize alcohol before those other substrates. So now you're at a 750 calorie surplus, but your carbs and fats are being stored in adipose. It's being stored as fat because you're in a surplus first and foremost, but also your body is trying to essentially, you know, this is a the word that they use in the research, honestly, it's seen as a poison, it's ethanol. So it's it's a poison or a toxin to the body. And so your body's trying to preferentially burn that to get it out of the system. And so first you're going to be storing more of the substrates or the extra substrates in fat tissue because you're in a surplus, but also because it doesn't have any satiety response. So often when people go out and drink, it's not like, Hey, I had 500 calories worth of drinks and, and different liquors uh, tonight. I'm going to eat 500 calories less to make up for that. You didn't get any hunger or fullness response. You didn't feel full as a result of it. So you're more likely to not only continue eating the same amount that you did, but you're also more likely after that to make less favorable choices with your nutrition, which are going to add to that subsequent surplus that you've had. So oftentimes this will knock someone out of energy balance. And I often see clients that the one thing that they did the the first couple of weeks that we worked together was to either substantially decrease or eliminate alcohol. So for right now, um, there's like sober January or whatever it's it's called, um, where dry. people aren't drinking dry January. Exactly. Thank you. I've actually this. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is my 10th anniversary on January 1st of not drinking. So I've been sober Congrats, for man. a decade. So um, you know, in terms of any of those, you know, um, holidays or those month periods, I never know the names for them, but. Those that do that, I've seen drastic results in someone's body composition just from the reduction or elimination of alcohol. Then we also have to think about it from a habits and a lifestyle perspective. So we know that alcohol consumption downregulates and depreciates sleep uh, sleep quality. So a lot of people say, hey, listen, I sleep better after I have an alcoholic beverage at night. Yes, it acts as a sedative, but it doesn't actually interrupt REM and deep sleep. So you're getting less quality sleep. Even if you get the same amount, you're getting less quality sleep in terms of your actual sleep cycles. So now you're waking up the next morning, you're not getting as good of sleep, or maybe you had interrupted sleep because you were out late last the night before due to the other activities that, you know, that a company alcohol. So say you're out, you're out at the bar, you're out later than usual. You're now suffering from social jet lag, which is where we, we, uh, set back our, uh, sleep times and wake times. 
getting less sleep quality, less sleep quantity most of the time. That's also going to screw, uh, skew your hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin. So we're going to see a decrease in leptin, which is our satiety hormone, which also um, plays a major role in energy expenditure. So you're going to be more or less likely to move around that day. So you're probably going to have lower meat. You're going to have higher hunger levels the next day. You're going to be more likely to overeat. And then also from a training performance and recovery perspective, when you're getting uh, less sleep or less quality sleep, we're going to see a down or a suppression in training performance, especially when it was accompanied by alcohol. Cause think about anyone that's had like, you know, really, you know, <laughs> extravagant Friday night and has tried to get up Saturday for their morning workout or for their workout in general, they're just unable to put as much effort and their, per- their rating of perceived exertion is much higher as a result. So it's not that alcohol, like say one or a few beverages, alcoholic beverages are going to directly impact muscle growth, but it's all the downstream cascades that it has on your habits, your behaviors, and your nutritional choices, how you feel, your perception, your psychology. So there's so many things. And then also when we look at it from like a health perspective, um, there are, you know, it, it does have very detrimental effects on brain and neurology, especially. So we're also seeing that, you know, memory, cognition, focus can be downregulated or uh, diminished as a result of alcohol consumption, especially when it's regular. So really when it comes down to, it's not this black and white thing where you can't have alcohol and grow muscle. I've known plenty of people that have alcohol in very moderate um, forms. However, when it really does come down to the research and we look at like, what's the minimum effective dose, there are a couple, um, health, you know, overseeing bodies that will say like, you know, four drinks every month or something of that sort. And really what, you know, I've seen other practitioners that really work within the health space more than like the physique enhancement space really advocate is instead of spreading them out and getting those deleterious effects, like say one drink every, you know, every week, just do that one you know, condensed period, let that have its residual effects that next day. So have say it's four drinks per month, have those four drinks one day, you know, one, one day of the month, Get the residual effects for that one day after, and then, you know, you know, abstain or, or reduce it for the rest of the month. Yeah, I I was going to say, I, I think we need to not look at it from like a direct standpoint and more from like an indirect standpoint, right? Where you said it's like all these downstream effects. You know, the main one that comes to mind is the, the training aspect where you get poor sleep and then training sucks and recovery sucks. And it's like that again, indirectly is going to hurt muscle growth, but also from the body composition standpoint too, you, you, you know, you mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, you're going to have this increase in like your inhibitions are going to lower and then you're going to, you know, lower energy expenditure. You're going to eat more food. And so I think from a body composition, composition standpoint, you're going to, you know, maybe you'll build muscle, but it's like, you might have a little bit more body fat than you would want. Right. And that's going to hurt your overall look. So, um, and, and I think when you have more body fats, like you don't really necessarily see all the muscle that you do have. So it's like indirectly it affects that. Uh, you kind of mentioned this too. And, you, you, you know, you said if you have 500 calories worth of alcohol, it's like, that's not, you're not going to eat food or sati- you're not, you know, you're not going to get, not going to have the nutrients that you're going to get from food. Satiety is uh, going to be off. You're not going to get full from that. But from my understanding, you know, you're going to be missing out on those nutrients, but does alcohol also deplete your nutrients as well too? Like it's, it's going to do that. And so you're also, you know, you're missing out on nutrients, but it could potentially deplete your nutrients as well. And the process, which is going to be a net negative for, uh, building muscle as well. So those were kind of the main things there um, that I wanted to say, like from an indirect uh, standpoint, but Brandon, I feel like you're thinking on what I said. So 
Yeah, so I don't know if it will actually cause like a further excretion of nutrients. I know that it can possibly cause dehydration, which could indirectly cause an excretion of nutrients. However, let's think about it from more of a practical perspective. Say that you do replace and you are that one out of 10 individuals that actually does track your calories when you go out to drink, which is very hard to do because really when we look at it, if you go out to a bar, you know, the average shot. You don't know if that's one or two ounces. It's very hard to track alcohol. Sometimes people are putting chasers in. That's where really let's stick with like light liquors. Let's stick with vodka and things that are lower calorie or things that you could track. Like, you know, I I know a lot of people like White Claw or whatever it may be, you know, um, low calorie or low carbohydrate um, beers, things like that. So you can more accurately track those things first and foremost. However, there's a tracking and estimation error in them in and of themselves. But if you are someone that has a calorie budget, so say that you your calorie, your maintenance calories are 2,500 calories per day and you fit 500 calories into that from alcohol. All right, you're in energy balance. You're not going to gain weight. However, you are displacing 500 calories of nutrient-dense food sources that you could be getting. So that is where we can then see down regulations in other hormones, such as thyroid, yeah. if you're not getting selenium, iodine, and zinc, in testosterone, if you're not getting zinc. There's different downstream cascades. And now one day, one day, couple days a month, not going to have those effects or really going to have uh, noticeable effects on all those uh, hormonal markers and things of that sort. But also if you're doing it in a frequent basis, it's almost like the devil's in the dose with all things in life. Honestly, when we look at training volume, when we look at stress, when we look at sleep quality, everything's in the dose in and of itself. So if you're frequently drinking, not only your habits are going to be impacted, but also you're displacing nutrient dense calories. You're probably drinking more calories as well as eating more calories than really you're aiming to just due to the fact that you're not getting your satiety response from them. But also we we see that with alcohol and it's going to depend on the type. So, you know, we would have to really dive into the literature on this. However, it does cause a lot of uh, gastrointestinal issues like gut dysbiosis. So I do, I honestly see this more with females than I do with males, to be honest with you. And it could be the fact that they're more susceptible to ethanol in smaller doses. So even just the same frequency as a male, they're just impacted by it more because of their lowered body weight and lowered body mass. So they're more heavily impacted from it. But I do see that a lot of women that have come to me with conditions, which most would label as like estrogen dominance, which is really just the physiological state in which estrogen is high relative to progesterone. A lot of them have issues with phase one and phase two detoxification, but that's also impacted by the fact that they're over-consuming alcohol. So they're having gastrointestinal issue effects, whether it be SIBO, whether it be gastro, uh, you know, intestinal permeability, which a lot of people will label as like leaky gut, but like in the literature, it's going to be... Um, notated as intestinal permeability, you're going to see uh, more GI issues as a result, as well as the fact that they're less, they're, they're seeing negative effects on their liver markers, like their AST and their ALT, and they're less likely to be able to excrete and detoxify the excess estrogen in their system. So now it's having negative cascades and downstream effects on multiple things. And remember, when it comes to GI health, this is something that's become extremely popular within the last couple of years, but we're not what we eat where what we eat, absorb, and assimilate. So if you cannot say, when it comes to protein, if you cannot break down and you don't have the enzymes necessary to break down protein to actually you know, get those amino acids into the blood and stimulate muscle protein synthesis, there's going to have all these downstream effects. So I think really when it comes to literature on this, there's very little on body composition in and of itself. They also don't do long-term trials on something like alcohol. They're always acute, meaning one, you know, one um, incident, because really when we think about it from like a uh, 
an ethical perspective, what, you know, IRB would approve to have like a binge drinking trial where we put people in a condition where they have to drink every single day for a month to see the body composition effects. We're never going to get approval for that. However, just think about it from your habits, your behaviors, and also how you feel. I've never had a client that's come to me that has you know, drank a ton of alcohol the night before and then told me, Hey, you know, coach, I drank all this alcohol. I overate and I feel great the next morning. I had a great training session. I, you know, I was sweating out all this alcohol and I felt like it was a really productive day. They always have the, the opposite. So really just from a lifestyle perspective, let's think about this from the fact that if you want to improve your body composition, you want to make this a part of your lifestyle. You want to be able to have a lean muscular physique. You're going to need to pair and align your behaviors and your habits with one that's conducive for not only your physique and the development and progression of that, but also your lifestyle as a whole, both physical, mental progression, development, and then just feeling good day to day, because it's not enough to just look good. There's plenty of people that I'm sure that have done it. And if it fits your macros and fit in a shot per night, just to do it as an experiment and have looked great, but I guarantee that their internal physiology and their blood work has not looked good. Yeah. No, good, good point. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you, you kind of talk about that and how, you know, again, probably in, it's more indirect than, than anything. So, uh, Brain, I know you said you had to hop off. Did you still need I to do. go? You have to I go. Do have okay. to go yes. I want to finish up with Jeremiah, just get his thoughts on this. Um, but, uh, you know, we can continue it if, if you don't mind, just for a few more minutes. I know Jerry, you probably have to get off soon too. Yeah. I got a couple more minutes, but Brain, yeah. you're welcome to dip if you need to. I guess yeah. I will see you later. Always a pleasure. Yep. Yeah, good talking Catch to you later, dude. So, uh, Jared, what I was going to say is, did you just kind of have any practical applications there with that or any other, anything else you wanted to kind of add? I mean, I agree. I don't have any expansion on, uh, the knowledge behind all that, but I think even if we look at like, there's a very clear correlation, just anecdotally, if you look at your client base, you look at, okay, these people typically drink a good bit less than average. These people drink like more on average than the rest of my clients. There's a very clear correlation you'll see between, the people that struggle the most to get the physique results they want and the people that drink the most. And I, I, I think we're in a similar boat here where I, I love alcohol and it bums me out that I can't drink as much. Cause I would, <laughs> I would love to just like have a glass or multiple glasses of wine every night, but yeah. very much like I think, and I'm sure you can probably agree with what you see with clients where, and I think it's more indirect than direct. I don't think it's like, even if we're looking at it, like, one to two glasses of wine per week, a couple drinks per week where it's like, hey, I'm just at home. I'm having a glass of wine. Or even maybe I go out to a bar and I have like one to two glasses every now and then. Like that doesn't have a massive detriment in with what I see in anecdote on clients, but or on someone's progress. But the individual who is like, I have like two to three drinking occasions typically per week, or I drink in excess of a couple drinks per night, those individuals are always the ones that struggle the most to see the body composition changes. And again, a lot of it is indirect, but like, think about that client you have who it's like, okay, Monday through Friday, you're dialed in. And then they go out every Friday night and they always have more than like three drinks that almost always leads to, okay, well, Hey coach, I like ended up like I had a pizza that night. And then the next day I was hungover and we had to have hungover food and it can easily turn into every single week. This cycle repeats itself. Right. And it's sometimes it comes down to like, Hey, if you're not willing to pull back, like we can only get so aggressive during the week, this might like, we're going to have to have a conversation around like no, And again, like I, I wish things weren't this way because I truly like, I, I love alcohol. I love like all the different wines and things of that nature. But unfortunately it's just the reality. A lot of times, um, any thoughts on all that? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned the person that's like, 
the the pizza thing like sometimes i'm sure people even forget they do it too right they they drink so much oh, yeah. that, they, that they forget to do it but then also to talk about what you just said there where like you have that person that like you know maybe you decrease during the week if you're somebody that is regularly trying to fat loss diet and then you do this also it's like that's a recipe for like just over consumption on the weekends right if you are like dieting oh, yeah. during the week trying to fat loss diet and then you do that it's like that's a recipe for uh like i said over consumption there uh, but i would one thing Sorry, like the one thing that's just an interesting conversation. I'll say that for like most everyone, the one thing like that individual who like diets does well all week and then struggles on the weekend has in common is like there's typically again like three plus drinks. I, 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 again, like I I hate I feel like I sound like a like a such a bummer right now, <laughs> but I don't know. I I feel like it is a very strong trend. It is. It is. I mean, it's, it's the truth, right? I mean, that's, that's what we got to tell people, but I, I'm with you too. I, I definitely enjoy alcohol. I mean, I used to enjoy it way more when I was back in college, but like for me now, it's not even like, yes, I would be, wouldn't tell you the full truth and that like, it's not just body composition. Like that is obviously super important to me, like muscle growth, losing body fat and having a good body composition, but it is more so just the way it makes me feel when I have more than a couple glasses the next day. Right. Like I just, I hate that feeling and I hate just feeling like crap the, the next day. And that's honestly, for me, the the bigger deterrent in terms of me having more alcohol than I, than I do. Cause I'm like you, if, if I didn't, if there was no repercussions from a body composition standpoint or waking up feeling, not feeling great the next day, I probably would have a lot more alcohol than, than I do. Um, I'm with you, you know, probably a couple glasses of wine uh, per week, some weekends, maybe a little bit more than that, but I would say probably on average about one to two glasses of wine uh, per weekend. So yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And again, I don't, none of this is to say like, there's no room to work it in a lot of our, I know a lot of both of our clients drink alcohol, but I also think again, like if you're, I don't, I don't want to say like in excess, but if it's causing it's something that's consistently causing you to deviate from the plan, it can have a large impact on your body composition. So again, I think it's like, not, it's not saying like, I'm definitely not saying it's like the wrong thing to do, but just weighing out again, like Hey, is this, especially in a fat loss phase, if you're consuming like a good bit. And again, like that's, that's one of the most common summing blocks where again, like people will go into every weekend with the best intentions, but it's like, Hey, once you get four or five drinks in me, all my inhibition goes out of the window. That's a very common summing block. So if that's you, it's again, I think just reevaluating like, what are my priorities? And there's no right or wrong. Like I don't blame you at all. If it's like, I would rather just have more drinks and I'm okay with not getting a little bit leaner, but I think that's just an important thing to think through, but I don't really have anything else to add there. Yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. It's having that that conversation with with the client, and, and you, I think you made a post on this recently too, where you said like, hey, you know, it, it, you have the choice to get as lean as you want, right? And I think that's right. you know, like that's that's part of that conversation. Um, and 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 two, maybe it's better strategies around drinking too. I'm sure you know that's stuff you work on with clients too. It's it's better strategies um with it. So, uh, one last thing before we end this, I did think of what I wanted to say earlier when we were talking about different having different coaches, mentors, things like that, and different philosophies, and it was. These are all like different tools in the toolbox that you can use uh, with your training and like uh, programming for clients and stuff like that. Uh, so I just want to say that at the end because I did remember it like literally two seconds after I said I forgot. So any anything else you want to add or anything to the to the show or anything from today? That's a great thought. I think that's all I had. Uh, good catching up with you guys. We made it like 75 minutes of not answering a single question. I think it's a new PR for us. But that is. I think there's a lot of application. I think there's a lot helpful there still that people can take cool. away. So always yeah. great to catch up. Well, like you, like we said before that, I think a lot of people enjoy that almost more than the questions. So uh, yeah, we'll obviously do it again soon, man. And uh, we'll chat with you soon. Cool. Let's catch you guys later.